everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Digital data is the life force of a digital global age. However, the ever-increasing data breaches are becoming a growing problem for each individual and entity across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short, referred to as NGIOA. Now, from the small breaches to big breaches and low-profile attacks to high-profile attacks, and from the attacks that are not even known yet, data breaches, data theft, and data manipulation are practically becoming everyday affair across nations. As of today, there doesn't appear to be an easy way to halt the growing surge of cyber attacks from anywhere. While data security faces its unique security challenges in cyberspace, it is also an issue for geospace. Now, with the amount of digital data ever expanding and exploding across NGIOA, knowing what the true value of the cyber breaches are is a very complex challenge. No individual or entity across NGIOA seems to be immune to the data security challenges. Irrespective of personal data, corporate data, government data, big data, or IoT data, securing data and information is proving to be very complex in this digital global age. Now, to discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Robert Fleming, founder and president of Blackspur Technologies, to Risk Roundup. Welcome, Robert. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you very much, Jayasree. So great, uh, Robert. I, if I may, I would uh, address you as Bob. Uh, it seems that nations today face the data destruction, deletion, and manipulation threat. The cyber criminals and attackers don't just steal the data, but they also delete it or manipulate it. This is a critical risk facing any entity within any NGI. How can any individual or an entity across NGIOA prepare for such a you know, complex security threat? Well, it's a great question, Jayshree. It's been around for a long time. We've noticed a huge upward spiking trend in data breaches and data theft over the past 10, 12, 15 years. I myself have been in data theft in uh, uh, data security and cybersecurity specializing in data at rest and data in motion, which is interchangeable with data in transit which we use as a term to move data from a physical location to a virtual storage environment, AKA a cloud. We've noticed a tremendous spike in data theft, and I'm, I'm not very happy to tell you that data theft is now the largest growing market sector on our planet. It's, it's almost easier to, de to describe and drop a list of those who have not been breached as opposed to those who have been breached. Dell tells us that over 75% of all organizations have been breached within the last 12 months. Panaman, everybody else seems to have similar numbers. But if you break that down to uh, various market segments, such as the consumer, the consumer has limited offerings available to him, which allow him to protect his data. And if you don't mind me going off on my little tangent, that's why we originally created Black Square Technologies. We wanted to build a device that was simple, very secure, would allow a user, whether he's a consumer or a small business or a mid-market or an enterprise or a public sector to successfully protect and defend data. So yeah. uh, I would agree with you. It's a, it's, a, it's a scourge across the planet, so to speak. 
And if it's important, it better be encrypted nowadays because it's a race to your data. Yes, that is very true. Now, before we go to encryption, we, there is also this complex challenge of the interconnectedness and interdependencies of this data that we all have or the digitalization or the digital global age because the boundaries between personal data, corporate data, consumer data, citizen data, national data, big data and IoT data is blurring very rapidly. So amidst this complex interconnectedness and interdependencies, who is accountable for data security and how can we structure effective data security because the data that is being generated because of the rapid digitalization that is going on across nations and its industries and all its components, nobody is sure who is responsible for the uh, data security, who is accountable for that. So from your assessment and observation, what is the structure of the accountability or responsibility for the data security if, the, if I am generating data on my personal computer? That is my responsibility. But if my personal data is being generated using some other, you know, uh, forms like being on the Google Hangout or being on the Facebook or LinkedIn or using the web, any number of, you know, websites we are going or using the uh, Internet of Things, all the connected things, who is responsible for protecting the data? That's a great question, Jayshree. Uh, for example, in a Hangouts, uh, it's, a, it's, it's unclear to me as to who's actually responsible for protecting the data, even though you've generated the data. Is Google uh, responsible for that? Um, in a way, it's almost like doubling back to the end user licensing agreement that we all agreed to accept from Microsoft or from uh, Mac or from Google or Yahoo or any other major provider. Uh, because they're allowed to, uh, uh, to manage third-party data and agree to use it without supposedly selling it to generate advertising and develop behavioral characteristics to present advertising to us. So it's a very good question. I don't know the answer. Yes, I believe nobody has the answer yet because we don't ha have the clear definitions or clear separate responsibility or the structure by which you we have clarity about who is responsible for securing what data. So that is a complex challenge at this point. Now, there are many who say that security will become the next big front of big data and IoT data, as we all expect as security infrastructure will increasingly take on big data-like attributes. However, there are also some that predicts that big data or IoT data technology in security context is likely to stay mature, expensive, and difficult to manage for most organizations as it is complex to identify attack security breach or attack in progress. Do we have technology capability to identify data attacks or security breaches that are happening or that are in progress? Because if someone is attacking myself, mobile phone, or someone is you know, attacking my website, is there, at this point, probably from my understanding, there is no way to know that that security breach is ongoing. We come to know only afterwards. So what is, is there any uh, development that is out there that lets organizations, entities, or you know, individuals to know while the data security breach is happening? It's a great question. Uh, I don't know very many people who might know the answer. Uh, I'm not one of them. Uh, we've been involved in seeing, uh, we actually, we've heard on the, uh, 
the TV or the internet of all the various breaches going on, whether it's an enterprise uh, company or even a public sector or an agency. Uh, and in the back of my mind and my colleagues, we're just beginning to wonder out loud what's going on here so that someone can peel back the onion from who knows how many different vectors, bad actors or good actors alike, and find their way into the treasure trove of data. And we could call that treasure trove right now, for lack of a better term, big data. So it's, it's a monetization play. It's also a ransomware play. Yes. Yes, that's very true, very true. What are the global trends you see in data security? It's a good question. Um, I, from my limited perspective, I see that uh, the CISO is now uh, absorbing a lot more responsibility than he had 10 years ago. If there was a CIO, a, excuse me, a CISO in the company at that time. Uh, it seems to me also that when approached with various opportunities or options for developing better security and stronger security, uh, the CISO and his group are probably paying a little bit more attention and not interested in procrastinating as much to understand what the solution that's being provided or presented might look like and how it might benefit their company, regardless of cost or ROI or TCO. It's about protecting the data because once that data breach goes out, uh, now people begin to get concerned about the company and those people would include investors, shareholders, leadership, and employees. So it's yes. a big challenge. Yes, it is a big challenge. Now, coming back to the point that you raised about encryption, there are mixed feelings about data encryption, depending on who you are talking to. Now, what's the role encryption plays in data security? Do you think it is effective? And what challenges you see encryption facing in the coming years to be used effectively for data security? Well, great question. Uh, as we both know, encryption as a term has been around for many, many years. Um, we, we actually build a hardware encryption product that we call Enigma, uh, which we named after uh, the original founder, a German engineer in 1918, who developed the original manual cipher machine called Enigma. Uh, so we pay honor forward. Uh, but encryption, in my experience, uh, when you mention the word encryption to someone, usually you see the neck muscles getting tight and the, the expression on their face saying, do I need to go to MIT to get a degree to understand what this guy is going to talk about? And encryption over the years has become relatively uh, easier to use, which makes it more beneficial uh, there are there are multiple software encryption programs or, or encryption programs and, and tools out there that are somewhat difficult. They're comprehensive. They can be clunky, um, and they can be used. Now it's a question of can the user develop enough confidence in the tool to use it effectively? If he can, now he's accepting that product and that procedure, and now he's providing peace of mind to himself to his other employees, to his family, or to his leadership. And peace of mind is where we need to find a, uh, an end stage. With encryption, I believe we can find peace of mind. Yes, yes. Uh, so it seems as so everyone says, but I do have uh, some questions about that. We'll come to that later. Now, traditionally, 
the proprietary private confidential and valued data of NGIOAI, that means nations, government, industries, organizations, academia, and individuals, are generally protected by keys for the encryption. That is uh, one form of encryption, which are transmitted between a sender and receiver. Now, these secret keys are generally protected by unproven mathematical assumptions and it could be in intercepted, it could be corrupted, and it could be exposed if a malicious hacker eavesdrop on these keys during transmission. Now, what are the specific technological and security problems with current encryption technology? Because encryption, from what I'm hearing, it is not 100% secure. That's a good, that's an interesting discussion we could have. Uh, to me, the value of encryption is not necessarily around the strength of the encryption algorithm. It's more around the strength of the key. So if I can generate my own key, will I, in my, when, will my behavior allow me to introduce A, B, C, D, E, or will I be able to use other key symbols and keystrokes and uh, the space bar? Can I introduce new dynamics to that to make a, um, that resulting passphrase, which then becomes a key, uh, much stronger. And at the same point in time, excuse me, we'd like to understand the relationship between the key development and the level of resistance within the algorithm to prevent that key from being attacked. Does that help? Yeah, but see, there are reports that cryptographic researchers are working on methods to improve the security of software-based key exchange methods using what is known as post-quantum cryptography. Now, these methods that will likely continue to be effective after quantum computers are powerful enough to uh, break existing key exchange methods. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, we are almost uh, close to the quantum era. So with the quantum era, this the kind of technology that you're talking about, the keys and all that, that is not going to likely stay, you know, effective in security, uh, from security point of view. So what security vulnerabilities existing key exchange methods brings and would it, stay, would it stand uh, the trial or would it stand and to be effective when the quantum computers in our eye? Well, I think we're a few years down the road in that discussion, but I think that the, the question or the level of vulnerability that we're finding a way to discuss is the ability to protect keys in software. Um, it's my presumption after seeing quite a few different headlines over the past few years that uh, uh, that software can be hacked. It's, it's just mutually agreed upon by people that I respect and colleagues that I know. Uh, and that being said, uh, for example, last week, I think you may have seen a headline saying Microsoft inadvertently put their public keys on display for boot. Really? How, how exciting. So now we've gone through the trouble of building a wonderful key inside Microsoft and we then expose it to the world and go, oops, um, that's a challenge. Uh, and it happens more than with just Microsoft. Uh, companies who build hard drives, for example, uh, they build keys into these hard drives and some keys are exposed and some keys are encrypted. Uh, if I'm a bad guy and I'm, I'm not a bad guy, if I were a hacker, I'd find a way to get access to those keys and then I'd find uh, uh, folks that use those types of drives and I'd be in. 
And I'd found I'd have an easier way in than by peeling back the onion and doing and performing multiple level uh, various threat attacks. Now, now you said that the homophobic encryption is a forward-looking cryptographic protocol. Now, as data and computation move to the cloud, fully homomorphic encryption would allow the data to be processed without ever having to give away access to it. And that is probably you know, what everyone is looking for. It is said that cryptographers are still figuring out how to turn the ideas of homomorphic encryption into a practical reality. Can you share some information regarding the current state of homomorphic encryption and how close we are to having a commercial availability of this technology because with the cloud computing getting you know very advanced and people are getting very excited about cloud computing this kind of you know encryption methodology would be a necessity i would believe sure uh, so I, I might share a slightly different viewpoint of encryption in uh, in an ip and a transmission network environment than than others uh, and that's that you may be marketed as being safe and secure, and I don't believe it. Um, and I can point to a, a, a frontline article, a series of episodes that was published about two or three years ago called The United States of Secrets. There's an episode one and an episode two. And uh, if the uh, listening audience would take the time to go look at this information, they'll probably walk away with a slightly different viewpoint than when they started looking at, the, at those episodes. Uh, simply put, I have a feeling that there are sniffers and snoopers in place on various transmission networks around the world, and they're managed and owned by both good actors and bad actors. And this has been brought out in these series. So uh, for, for me to understand and be confident in the ability for um, full encryption, whether it's IPv4, IPv6, whatever the case may be, uh, to get data from a physical location via an email application to another physical device or by sending data from a physical location into a virtual storage arena or a cloud, uh, I have my doubts. So because I have my doubts, I've invented a tool that allows me to feel more comfortable at that by encrypting the data before it even leaves my PC or my tablet or my phone and arrives in a cloud. Yes, yes. Now, what do you expect the future of encryption? Because you are in the business of developing these encryption products. Where do you see the future of encryption? That's a really good question. Um, the future for encryption, I think, is very positive. Uh, the levels of encryption we have available to us today uh, we, if we go back a few years, we started with DES, then we moved into triple DES. Triple DES by some agencies is still considered fairly strong. Uh, and by strong, it means uh, the, the interpretation would be that it hasn't been hacked. Uh, next, we move into AES and various forms of encryption algorithms in AES. Um, and next, I guess, could be elliptical curve, and next would be quantum. And at a point in time, the algorithm is going to you're, you're going to have a very strong, successful algorithm. The question is, is there another way around the algorithm? And the answer is always yes. As long as there's a human component, human behavior, and human interaction and human documentation, someone will find a way into the strongest encryption, not by cracking the encryption, 
but by cracking the, the user ID, the code, the fingerprint, the whatever it might be. Yes, yes. Now, let's talk about encryption, how encryption works with reference to security, which is, you know, the topic of today's dialogue. The key components related to encryption that security professionals need to understand include data at rest versus data in transit or algorithms and key management. Can you briefly explain these components for the benefit of the global viewers and listeners? Yeah, sure. So I can give it a shot. How's that? Um, in, in the type of products we make, we make hardware encryption key management tools. Uh, so in essence, you'll have to plug the device into your computer. And we do that on purpose so that it does not interact with the operating system. That way it's not vulnerable to the operating system's instructions headed downstream into the device, which could uh, bring with it a malicious code or malware. We're not a fan of that because that, that ruins the opportunity. Uh, now you'll have to authenticate to the device. You'll have to log in and create your own passphrase or a password. So I use those terms interchangeably. By creating a password and then clicking on the button that says make me a, uh, a key, you don't know what that key looks like because there's a mathematical formula, it involves a SHA, it involves an IV or in our case an initialization vector, and now we have a secret component that no one knows, no one has access to it, and it's buried inside a chip somewhere. So when we actually log into our device with our product, we log in using ABCDE, which then generates that, that uh, secret key, and if the secret key is compatible, then you have connection. If it's not compatible, you'll have to unplug the device because we disable the execute file opportunities in, in the application. So you get one chance to do it correctly. And maybe here's a good point for me to try and jump in. In the days when people were inventing the internet, there were a list of priorities that were laid out for Vince Cerf and his team and other folks. And at the top of the list usually was ease of use, speed, convenience. Uh, no mention in any of those three major priorities of anything called security. Uh, so again, my humble opinion is that we now have ease of use, we have speed, we have convenience, we have access. Where's the security? So the security got dropped out, so to speak, or maybe it's on a lower level that users or consumers like myself don't get to see. It's not transparent to us. So because of that, we can assign ourselves lots of other opportunities and create those opportunities as we go and build an action item list. I'd like to look into the behavior characteristics of that person over there or that company and see if it's necessary. Do I really need that information to hack into their network? Can I go in through a Cisco router? Can I go in through a Juniper firewall? Can I get there somehow because there's a weakness in the software and the code? And the answers so far that we've been hearing are, yes, these are possibilities. Yes, yes, that is very true. Now, going further, it seems that organizations can choose to encrypt data either at application level, database level, storage level, or network level. What would be the ideal way or approach to encrypt? Because from my understanding, I would say that if we secure the network, then you know, lot it would become much easier from security perspective. Because then you know, individual factor we can rule out the human factor, where you know, not everyone understands the seriousness of the security challenges, 
and if you have to depend on e do people like that who do not take security seriously then it's very challenging to be you know able to secure everything that we would like to secure all the computers but if we develop security at the network level then it's much easier then everybody gets protected but it seems that that is not what people are uh, looking for or you know that's not where the developments are happening well, and to a certain degree, hopefully it's related, but there are users in, in large organizations and in, in public sector, nations, whatever the case may be, that some folks just resist the, uh, the order or the request from, from uh, leadership saying, we want you to use the following process. And that includes encrypting data. And when you move it to your hard drive or your thumb, to your thumb drive and you're going to move it to another computer, that it must be encrypted. And believe it or not, some people still say not only no, but heck no, I don't want to do that. It's too much time. It's too much effort. It's inconvenient. And you get to hear the, the gamut. I'm sure you've heard this from, from many different uh, uh, friends, colleagues, and customers. Uh, they, they just don't feel that they're in the line of sight. And by not feeling like you're in the line of sight, well, maybe I can just hope and pray and no one will mess with me. Well, I did some study a while back, and we found out that about 84% of America that are capable of buying a product or using a product believe that hope and pray seems to work pretty well for them so far. Uh, they don't quite have knowledge of, nor do they understand the fact that uh, uh, there's a data fact that was released last year that says 80% or more of all social security numbers have been hacked Here's the key phrase, more than once. So for me, again, I'm, I'm back on my, my little soapbox here saying it's really a race. Whether it's a nation or an environment or a public sector or a private person or a small business or IBM, someone's probably out there looking to find a way in so they can monitor and then monetize your data. If they can do those things and they have access, they might even throw an additional monkey wrench in the works called ransomware, whereby ransomware is sort of described as I can gain access to your data and I'm going to choose to encrypt it all with a, an encryption key that you don't know. I'll then send you a nice message saying, Dear Jay Shri, I've just encrypted all of your data. Uh, sorry about that, but I need the money. I'm in Ukraine and I got to buy a new house. And I would like 100,000 bitcoins in exchange for your money, for your, for your files. I'll, I'll be more than happy to return. I'll give you the key. I'll be, I'll, I'll be a good guy. I'll go away. And by the way, he's already inside your network. So now what are you going to do? So now there's another set of problems. So whether it's monitoring data or monetizing data or selling the data or encrypting the data and then wanting to sell it back to the owner, and by the way, that ransomware person might also be selling your data to someone else without your permission and or knowledge. So a lot of things going on in the background. Yes, there are a lot of things going on and they don't need anybody's permission to do that, right? But it's they, they, a lot of people say they, for these ransomware and also, you know, other kind of uh, data theft and data, you know, uh, security challenges, the encrypted data 
people rely on the encryption technology thinking that you know by using encryption we are secured and you know we don't have to worry about our data security but it seems that even encrypted data can sometimes be intercepted and uh, accessed so if encrypted data and encryption technologies fail they are not 100% you know secure so how can we keep our data secure if the encryption technology itself itself is vulnerable so it's a great conversation and everybody should have this about 20 or 30 times to get the idea. Currently, some people back up data. And if you talk to people who actually back up data, it's a discipline to them. Disciplines take a little time and then it becomes a habit. And now we back up the data and it's relative speaking, it's automated. Uh, the ability to encrypt data should follow the exact same guidelines. It requires a discipline. It will require uh, the development of a habit and it'll require that habit to be a confident habit that you can depend on, that you accept, and then that provides you a peace of mind. So whether you use a, uh, a common or a popular encryption methodology, uh, whether it's software or you encrypt data and stick it on an encrypting thumb drive, uh, that's all great, that's a good start. The next step is to move it offline, to move data and encrypt data through a downstream device, which is not connected to your operating system, which doesn't have vulnerability, uh, which is not connected to your hard drive or to your backup drive or to your NAS box or to any relationship you have in the cloud, but a device that can manage and monitor all of those locations for you, for all the files and folders that you have that you feel are important, then you encrypt them. Then you have confidence in the product, you've accepted the product, and whether it's you as an individual or you as a member of a company, the company now feels that, or the leadership now feels that that peace of mind because none of us want to get that call at three in the morning from the Wall Street Journal saying that we'd like you to confirm that your company was hacked and 32 million names are now on the loose. Yes. Yes, we don't want that call. I agree with you. Yeah. Now, it seems that your organization, Black Square Technologies, has developed Enigma hardware encryption product. How effective it is for data security and what is the nature of data it encrypts? If you can share uh, some information about it for the benefit of our global viewers and listeners. Oh, sure. Well, it's a huge passion for us. As I mentioned earlier, I've been in the, the data storage uh, business since 20, uh, 2004. Uh, and I was involved in, in developing marketing uh, plans for full disk encryption and ultimately SED or, or self-encrypting drives. Uh, at a point in time, I think I had one too many margaritas and said, I'm going to make a product that uh, will allow uh, the consumer or the small business guy to plug into his computer, click on a file, encrypt that file. Once he unplugs the device, there's no way to decrypt that file simply because you need two things to decrypt the file. You need the physical device and you need the password knowledge that I used to encrypt that file with. Now, of course, the password is different than the secret key, but there's a, a mathematical formula we discussed earlier that will allow those two comparisons to take place automatically inside the device. So our device looks like a thumb drive, but doesn't store data. So typically when you plug a thumb drive into your computer, your computer pulls up a window and says, I see data. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to open the file? Do you want me to check the drive, 
and so on. So our device plugged in all by itself doesn't generate any response from the computer whatsoever because it doesn't store data. And data is what the operating system is looking for downstream. So in order to make that easier for someone who already has a thumb drive, because we're not interested in competing in the SanDisk and the, in the Kingston thumb drive space, there's a uh, little margin, which is going away when they go back to beat up the suppliers for a better price point. You simply plug a thumb drive into the backside of Enigma because we have a female connection. It doesn't have to be a thumb drive. It can be a 10 terabyte backup drive. It can be a NAS device with a USB connection, as long as it has the ability to store data. So when you plug those two into your computer, your operating system says, wait, I see data. What would you like me to do with this data? Then you'll see a window saying, I see Enigma. There's an end user licensing agreement. I have to accept the terms and so on. And you then say yes to the, the terms and you can now see through the Enigma application, everything that you now have access to in your network, whether it's an enabled or a disabled network uh, element, you can now find data there, whether it's in the cloud or not. Does that make a little sense? Yes, it does. So basically everyone who is authorized to use that data, they need to have that software that you're developing, right? That uh, Enigma. So if, if they don't have, they won't be able to see even the data that you know may or may not exist on that. That's correct. So for example, if I use Enigma to encrypt a piece of data uh, file on my computer, and then I create an email application, and let's say I want to send you an email, I can go in and I can attach a file. So if I decide to attach an encrypted file, I can send it to you. If you already have an enigma at the other end and you have knowledge of the passphrase or the password that I used to encrypt the file, you've got both ends of the puzzle. So you can plug in your enigma, you can access uh, and type in the password, you can then identify the file and you can decrypt the file. That's the only way you can decrypt it. But the hackers could, you know, have a copy of Enigma too. They could, they would be able to then see what kind of data is there and they would be able to breach the user ID password, you know, protocol, which is probably very easy for them to break. That's easier said than done. And we've, we've engineered this into our solution I mentioned earlier that uh, uh, that with Enigma, you get one chance to type in the correct passphrase. If it's not the correct passphrase, you have to unplug because we're going to disable the execute functions and applications. So you get one chance to do a brute force attack every time. Yes. Bruce Schneier and I figured out that it would take something like 31 people doing 50 of these every minute, 31 consecutive lifetimes to crack, uh, to get a probability of less than, Point zero 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 two five one. So the probability of if I send you an encrypted file and you go to the store and buy an Enigma and use the passphrase that I've generated, you'll be able to open the document. If I send it to you and you have an Enigma but you don't know the passphrase, imagine your level of frustration when you try and open it and are unsuccessful thousand times in a row. So after a while, our hope is that when we encrypt a file, you'll see a, uh, an icon that's different than all other icons on the screen. 
so we take a PowerPoint or a PDF or a whatever the file is and use our black square icon, as you can see behind me. The hope is that when someone sees that icon, they're going to go, oh, shucks, that's encrypted data. I got to go somewhere else because I can't even open that, much less monetize it. So if we can, then that's our own special way of delivering the message to the bad guys saying, sorry, I think you're out of luck here. I understand that. So now if, if let's say, you know, people using cloud services or entities using cloud services, how would the data encryption would occur using that Enigma while maintaining required functionality within the cloud services? So let me, let me make sure I understand your question. Let me try an example. Let's say I'm going to send uh, uh, data from my computer to the cloud whatever that cloud happens to be. And to me, the cloud is only valuable in the form of the ability to synchronize data from one point to the other point. So it, that's how I look at the cloud, whether it's a cloud or a server, it's about the same to me. So if I'm going to actually uh, move data from my physical computer into my cloud, that's nothing more than opening Explorer and dragging and dropping files. So, if I can drag and drop files that are encrypted before I, I encrypt the files, then open Explorer, then drag and drop those encrypted files from my C drive, for example, to my Dropbox, for example, that data arrives encrypted using a hardware wrapper that we've developed. We're not, we're not looking forward to or, or, or counting on the internet transmission or mechanisms that are out there in IP to protect the data, we're doing it ourselves. Now, we, we, they may be very strong at, at encrypting data and providing that Teflon tube inside that, uh, uh, that transmission network, but I'd prefer to be able to encrypt the data myself, move it to a location that I know what's going to be, and when it arrives, it arrives with a hardware encryption wrapper on it. The reason I like this is because as a regular person, I'll send my data to my tax guy. I'll send my divorce decree to my attorney. I'll send my insurance policy to both of them as well as to my insurance agent. And to me, those are important pieces of data. To me, if it's important, it needs to be encrypted. Yes. And I hope that holds true for everybody. Yes, let's hope so. Now, your competitors, there are many I'm sure they're out there. They are all developing, you know, encryption-based uh, uh, security technologies. Can you give some background and examples of who are your competitors and how does your product, you know, stand out uh, compared to the rest that is out there in the market? I can give it a try. Uh, so first and foremost, we're, if we go back to that, that onion ring discussion I made earlier, Inside the onion ring, if you can peel back all the layers, you can find that, that eggshell with all the valuable data. The area that Enigma plays or, or provides value is within that, that egg of valuable data because we feel it should be encrypted, whether it's dynamic or standalone or data rest, because that's the value proposition for what we do. We serve as a complementary and strengthening feature for all of those tools, including software encryption and identity access management and so on, that are above our layer. We're low-level IT hardware encryption. We encrypt the important data 
so that when someone does break through, it's no longer if, it's now about when, when someone does create a vector and is successful and attacks your network and gets in somehow, they're going to find encrypted data using a hardware tool. That's our value proposition as we see it. So on the outside looking in, uh, one of those rings on the outside uh, or one of those layers of the onion could be very strong software encryption programs. But as time goes on, those software encryption programs will become more and more vulnerable. There's also things out there called routers and firewalls. And if we read a lot like we, we think we do, we've learned along the way that some of those boxes aren't very secure. Some of them you can drive trucks through. Uh, some of them have uh, what we might call deficiencies in software code. And that brings me back to the original discussion earlier, and that's that it's really difficult for anyone to write perfect software code that's not vulnerable to attack. So all that being said, we tend to look at what we do is we're trying to complement and strengthen the overall security and solution that that company or that that nation has. We want to make it stronger, not weaker. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, it seems that, you know, there is a growing trend of this so-called third-party hacks where data breaches that focus on one organization or one entity or one service solely for the purpose of obtaining data or access to a much more important target. How can encryption technologies be used to address and manage such data security threats? Well, it's a really interesting question. I was involved in a couple of discussions last uh, about a month ago on power grids. And power grids are, uh, depending on who you, who you listen to, uh, their old technology, uh, they're struggling to keep up. Um, and it, it's, it, it's not a rumor anymore. The folks on the outside, the bad actors, are, they're intelligent people. They have high horsepower machinery. And, and they think very clearly because they have an objective and that's to to manage your network or your grid for you so that when they put that ransomware out there if you don't respond with what they want in kind they have the ability to bring down a portion or all of that network and that's pretty scary having the ability to bring down just 10 blocks in new york city is scary enough having the ability to reroute electricity into areas that have too much electricity and cause an explosion is even worse. And of course, downstream, when you talk 4G and 5G, we're talking about those cars that drive themselves. And it's already been very clear to me that, <clears throat> excuse me, almost every major car company's software has been hacked uh, to bits. Yes, that is true. That is very true. And I don't mean to be a fear monger. I'm, I'm not a fear monger. I'm a passionate guy, and I think there's a great opportunity to protect your data in some way, shape, or form from the bad guys for a period of time. But make no mistake, they're smart people. They'll, they'll find a way. So we have to continue improving our product so that they have to continue evolving their product. Yes, very true. Very true. We have to be proactive, and we have to keep security in mind and not just functionality. We have to yeah. focus on security. Now, there are many who say that enterprises should be focusing on mobile data management rather than mobile device management because there is a lot, if you see, much more use of mobile is happening, you know, across nations, individuals and entities, everything is going, 
going towards mobile. So how could encryption technologies be effectively used for mobile data security? Another great question. And this is another topic of conversation all over our area here in Colorado. Uh, the, the way we answer that type of a question or the way we look at the opportunity to build a better racehorse is to take the technology we've built um, and reduce it in size and make it available for the iPhone classification as well as the Android uh, classification of phones. Because you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, the, the take rate and the, uh, the use rate for mobile phones and tablets is upwards of 4 billion users today. Uh, and if we start talking about the Internet of Things, uh, I think they say our homes are going to move from 10 or 20 things currently to about uh, 500 to 1,000 things in five years. Everything will be managed by IoT. Everything will be managed and, uh, uh, and probably distributed via a phone and or a tablet. So the question is, how do we create an intersection between notebooks, PCs, servers, and also with the mobile technologies. And there's gotta be an, I think the answer is right in front of us. We just have to figure out a way to create compatibility so that even in five years, if I'm still using a computer, which I probably will be, uh, and even in five years, if you're using the phone and the earplug and the thing and, the, and, and all those things while you're driving in the car while someone's driving for you, which probably will be the case, that all those devices are interconnected. And I just don't know if that, uh, uh, if that standard has been presented yet, much less approved. Yes. Now, what would you tell all the decision makers across NGIA as to how to approach the data security? What would you tell them should be their first line of uh, defense for preventing unauthorized access of data? So I think for me, I'm more or less the cheerleader here. Uh, I go visit companies because they're interested in understanding how they can better their security efforts. Um, they've gone through compliance, for example. They've gotten at the end of a, a compliance report, they have a, a security assessment and a pen test assessment and other assessments. And at the end of the day, they have a report card showing historically what they've done, how they've prepared their audits, uh, is everything in compliance and so on. That's good until today. What about tomorrow? What about the next day? So my comment is, if it's important, encrypt it. That, that's, that's all I can say. That's a good uh, advice. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, most people, when they hear that, they say, well, so Bob, tell me what's important. And that's a subjective question. You know, for me, I encrypt code, I encrypt documents, I encrypt uh, NDAs, I encrypt sales agreements, uh, those types of things. Another person in a large company might encrypt uh, HR's files so that engineering doesn't have access to them. And using our product, we can separate them into various departments so that only, each, only one department knows its own passphrase. It doesn't know the passphrase for HR or for leadership or for in, uh, engineering or for product development. And those are ways that you can help to serve existing functionalities that are already in place to make them stronger, yet more 
volatile. So volatile means it's versatile in nature. Um, now, if I need something, I have to send a note to someone. Uh, for example, you might remember uh, someone sent a phishing email to a person at, uh, impersonating the CEO of that company saying, I need all the W-2 files. Well, by mistake, of course, it's by mistake, the person responded by sending that data in clear text to that phishing attacker. Uh, why isn't there a policy in place? It's a simple policy to write, I think, that says anytime you get a request like that from leadership, you should encrypt the data as a matter of course, then send it along with a note saying, dear Mr. Hacker or dear CEO, call me and provide information that tells me who you are is who you say you are, and then I'll provide the, the, uh, the encryption key for you. Yes. Something like that. That is true. That is true. There should be something like that. Some, there should be structured processes and, you know, defined rules of how to handle sensitive data like that. And I agree with you on that. Now, if you have the power to change how data security is addressed today, what would you change? Well, unfortunately, IT is only such a, they're only, they're 24 seven. They're always busy helping people uh, with whatever the issue is. And one of the major issues that we all have seen and probably all have experienced is, you know, I forgot my password. So you have to go through a series of questions. Well, first you have to call. Someone's got to issue a trouble ticket. You got to go to customer support and talk to them and they got to pull out the list of security questions. You've got to answer so many correct in order to be deemed who you are is who you say you are. They'll then send you by email uh, a link or the, uh, uh, the passphrase that you need. Then you can go back into your computer and do your work. Uh, that's a challenge. Uh, it's just one of many things that IT does besides APT watch, SIEM watch, um, and, and all the other things that they have to do. It's, it, it's almost like there's too much work for a department to handle, considering the amount of effort that's put into developing security techniques and rewriting those policies from what they were five years ago to update them all. And, I, I have a lot of respect for the IT folks for doing that. Yes. Now, we already talked about the Enigma uh, uh, security product that your organization is developing. Uh, what other initiatives are ongoing at Black Square Technologies or organization? Well, without going too deep, I can share with you that we're currently a USB product. And we work in, uh, we're compatible with Windows and Mac. Um, the next step for us will be to develop that Android and the iOS product. Because we want to develop that, that interoperability or compatibility between the actual physical devices and the mobile devices. So that now all of a sudden the company has the right by giving you a phone to say, this is where your personal data will be kept and encrypted using your own product. This is where our company data will be kept and encrypted using our company product. So, for example, today, uh, your, uh, let's say a company buys Enigmas and they use them internally. Some of the members that use the product will say, wait a minute, if it, if it saves data and protects data here at the company, I might want to have one at home for my personal use for my TurboTax files or for my documents or for my will something like that. 
So now there's a potential to mix those two up and create uh, a compatibility. The uh, consumer might say, I want to use this one that's my personal one to manage my corporate data. And in, in reality, logic says that might work. But companies will come back and they say, no, we don't want to go down that path. We want any, any, uh, an incompatibility developed between our product and any other Enigma product that's out there. And we can provide that capability for them. So, for example, if IBM bought five units, they can only be used in IBM machines. They can't be used in a home machine because they'll be declared incompatible. Does that make some sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, Robert, I think the information that you shared about data security, especially the road encryption technology and encryption uh, technology-based products like uh, what your organization is developing, how it could secure uh, the data security, that I think it would be very useful for the benefit of our uh, uh, global viewers and listeners. I'm sure what you said today is uh, going to help our viewers and listeners tremendously and uh, I thank you so much for your time to participate in Risk Roundup. I know you are a busy man and you took out uh, time to participate in Risk Roundup and uh, share your insight, your views and uh, understanding about where the encryption technology could and how it could play an important role in data security. So I appreciate that and I thank you for that. Oh, you're more than welcome and it's my honor and privilege to be a part of Risk Roundup and, and visiting with you Jay Shreddy. Wonderful, Robert. Uh, likewise, and thank you so much again for participating in this roundup. Now, data security is a complex challenge. With new security threats appearing at a rapidly increasing pace, each individual and entity across NGIOA is facing very complex data security risk. While there is an ongoing effort to secure data, it is important to evaluate if we have the right approach to data security and whether we have effective framework that would allow us to effectively manage data security risk or whether we have the right tools, right technology and right processes to achieve the data security. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia in cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security, and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos, or to hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com, and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.